today on the show, we're talking about hobbies. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. I'm your co-host. I'm joined with my co-host, Trevor. And today on the show, we're talking about hobbies. And hobbies are something, they sound trivial. They sound like something that's not important. It, actually, you think of music. Music's it, on the surface, it would it seems like music doesn't add any value to society, but it really does. It, it brings people together in groups that wouldn't otherwise exist. And hobbies kind of act the same way. Hobbies bring people together who wouldn't otherwise come together. I've got a fascination with history. I love history. And where I live, there's a historical society. And I go there and, and they have speakers and events. And I go to, well, now in pandemic, I don't go to uh, anything. <laughs> but... I go to these uh, these historical society meetings and I meet people who, who I, I, I'm certain I would not otherwise meet. So I think hobbies are, I, I think they, everyone should have a hobby and they require, like, it, it, I don't think you should just sort of accidentally back into a hobby. I think you should be deliberate about it. Well, the reason we have come up with this episode is I think a lot of people have been exposed for their lack of interest outside of their job and in other life responsibilities. They've had all this extra time on their hands. And a lot of people are, they're used to being super productive and, and just getting stuff done all the time, which I don't know if is the greatest approach to life, but a lot of people operate that way. And not having a interest outside of your life responsibilities, you, you kind of get a little glimpse into what might be missing in your life. Oh, for sure. And so we're going to jump into that today. We're going to talk about um, kind of the three things that should make up a hobby, hobby perspectives. And we're going to finish the episode by talking about hobby considerations. But before we jump into that, we're going to... Well, gonna... And I just want to say the reason we're doing hobbies on a money podcast is if, if you go down the wrong rabbit hole in a hobby, you can burn through a lot of capital. I mean, you can burn through a lot of money and and find come out the other end and find out, oh, this isn't for me. And you end up with a bunch of stuff, equipment, that you might get 50 cents on the dollar trying to sell it on Kijiji or something. So I, I think hobbies are important to help us grow. And I think hobbies can be dangerous financially if you don't approach them with the right mindset. And let's not also forget on the same note that you can justify anything to be a hobby. You just have to say, oh, it's it's my hobby and everyone will understand it. You'll understand it can be a dangerous justification method. Um, and we'll kind of talk about some maybe dangerous hobbies that can get financially, can have a huge kind of financial consequence. Before we jump into that, though, um, last week we threw out on social media, um, uh, can you you can either, and we said, decide on a lifestyle and then select a career that will support your lifestyle or decide on a career and then lead a lifestyle that will support, that your career will support. So this was based on last week's episode and we had, um, we had one of you write into us uh, with your thoughts on this question, also on the episode in general that we released last week. If you haven't, got, haven't listened to it yet, go back, listen to it. Let us know what you think. But this this one comment, I'm going to read it out loud. Um, so yeah, thank you to this listener for writing in. We, 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 love, we love hearing your perspective on the episodes. But this one goes as follows. I thought there was a lot of pie in the sky concepts in this episode, to be honest. 
with kids having to decide on their career track when they're around 15 so that they can line up the educational credits they'll need to enter post-secondary education, lifestyle is the least criteria to judge a career path. People pick the work they do because they have a skill they can use and which they're good at. They have an aptitude slash interest for the subject. There are jobs available in the field they enter with people who will hire them at their skill level. Lifestyle is the least of it. Even Trevor admits in the podcast that that he ended up living in a small town because a company took a chance on him when he lacked the experience necessary to work somewhere else. In the end, he decided to stay in, in, in the small town and embrace the lifestyle of living in a small town, but that's never where it started. And most jobs in so-called passion projects are not sustainable. Some people can do it, but they're often from a privileged segment of the population where they have the contacts and that can afford to buy whatever they're producing, or they're extremely lucky, or they have another means of income, like a spouse who pulls a big enough salary to support them while they get established, which can take years. And is lifestyle dependent on a career? I don't necessarily think so. Yeah, the salary you earn may dictate what you can afford to buy, but not everyone need, needs this $60,000 truck to feel rich if their ideas of living it up is having a gourmet meal at a fancy restaurant once in a while. What is often described as lifestyle in this podcast has more to do with image projected to others than actual enjoyment of being satisfied with one's life. So I agree with this listener's comment and I disagree. So I agree. When, when you're in high school, you are programmed, we are, are, are sold that we are pursuing a career choice first. And we educate ourselves to, to career mindset first. High school, then post-secondary, either college, university, or a trade. You are getting your career is first and foremost. But it's slowly, that career, those career choices are slowly being eroded. So on a macro level, you are correct. That is the, the bag of goods we are sold. But that that bag of goods is slowly being eroded as you move through college or university and come out the other end and you start making choices like the vehicle you drive, the place you live, and these things start to handcuff you or, or back you into a corner or, or take decisions off the table because you've pre-spent a whole bunch of money. Uh, your your graduation trip may have sucked up a whole bunch of money, and and all of a sudden you've got a student loans to repay, and before you know it, you you have created such a debt laden lifestyle that your career choices are vastly limited. So, I I agree on the surface. It looks like we are programmed to choose career first and lifestyle second, but the lifestyle creeps in very quickly early on in life for a lot of people. And it limits your career choices. And you're, I, I, I said in the, last, in the episode, I absolutely chose, I'm going to say I chose career. I, I, th I think I said that in the episode too. I chose career first. Looking back, I, I think I would have preferred to cho choose a lifestyle. I ended up with the lifestyle I wanted. I wanted to, I always wanted to live in a small town and I do. I, I, this happened by accident. I didn't choose it. It, it kind of chose me. And, and I, I'm going to say I, I completely lucked out on this. But I would have I preferred to choose a lifestyle first. So, and I didn't. But, so 
I think on a macro level, we start out with that, but microscopically it gets eroded. I think, and to, to bounce off that, Trevor, I think you did choose, I know when we were talking about that episode, I know you did prioritize the lifestyle piece. I, I know raising a family in a small time is something that was important to you. So, But I, di- I didn't get there deliberately. I, yeah. I, I got there by, by happenstance, by chance. But I think if, if we were to look at this comment and look at your reality, I think for you, I think you would probably, you would have prioritized lifestyle over career in that if the only job you could, if you could get in your profession, which is accounting, was in the busiest city in the world and you were dead set on not raising a family in the busiest, busiest city in the world in the busiest section of that city, I think you would have opted for lifestyle. Actually, you know, you raise a good point. So I did hit a crossroads at one point where the company I used to work for offered me a position in Vancouver, which was on the other side of the country. And with not enough money to go with the added cost of living in Vancouver. And I ended up finding this opportunity of the company I work for currently around the same time. And just, you know, the income matched the cost of living. This was a a net net, a better opportunity. Again, I, I don't think I don't, I wish I could say I was super deliberate about it, but you're right. I didn't, I didn't want to raise a family in Vancouver, nothing wrong with Vancouver, but it's, it's a large city. I didn't want to raise a family in a large city. And there's nothing wrong with raising raising a family in a large city. Millions of people do it every day. It's just something I, I guess selfishly, I thought it might be easier to raise a family in a small town. So you definitely, I, I, you definitely prioritized lifestyle and, um, I, I think as well, I don't well, think I, <laughs> I hate to argue against myself, but I really don't think I, 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 it, it wasn't, but you weren't dead set on being an accountant. You were not, you, you wanted to be an accountant, but you more would just wanted the lifestyle that came along with maybe what an accountant would earn and, and, and how maybe the, that, that the lifestyle, like the Monday to Friday night five, that would, I was more deliberate about becoming an accountant than I was about living in a small town. Fair. Okay. That, that is fair. But um, no, I think this, this, the perspective that this listener brings to this episode and through this comment, I think is very valuable. And um, it, no, it definitely, it definitely shines a kind of a different light on our take of, of this. So let's switch gears and get back into today's topic, today's focus. Again, we're talking about hobbies. Um, and like Trevor said, hobbies are more important than you think. They really definitely define us as individuals and what we want to spend the time our time with when we're not pursuing when we're not at work when we're not doing the thing that does take up that chunk of time well and here's a good thing a hobby just say someone says what do you do like that's a question if you ever listen to minimalist podcast they've got a great answer to that one but if all you do is focus on work what do you do my you know someone might answer i'm an accountant you know that's what i do well that doesn't sound very (laughs) interesting you know it sounds kind of dry and boring but if you say, you know, what do you do? I he his was snowboarding. That was oh, or you can say I'm a photographer, or I fly model airplanes, or I, those are probably really good conversation starters. Or or somebody's gonna there's gonna be a follow up question to saying if you say, hey, I fly model airplanes. I don't, for the record, but just say that was your answer. I, I bet you you draw a crowd in to you know f- learn more about it. If you said, oh, I'm an accountant, they'd say, oh yeah where do you live <laughs> or what do you drive or, you know, or what do you do in your spare time? Yeah, what do you do? So 
it, I think it gives you, you know, a more of an answer to, you know, what do you do? What are you passionate about? What, you know, what are your interests? I, I, I'm not walking around business cards to hand out to people, but I like to say more than just I'm an accountant. Definitely brings a little bit of depth to to yourself and, and, and what you do. So I think that's I think it's valuable. So I have I have so many questions. And for I want to say before I keep interrupting you. Yes. <laughs> you know, if someone has said, "What are you interested in?" That almost sounds kind of like a personal question, right? It, it, you almost have to offer it up to say, "What do you do?" I think you could ask that question to, you know, nine out of 10 people you're running to and nobody be offended. But if you say, what are you interested in? I, I think it, it, it might even sound creepy, right? So definitely. And I think that should be the norm. What do you do? It should, you should start out with your hobbies. Um, so let's, let's dive into the first kind of thing. So I have a, a gen, in general, I have a lot of questions to ask you, but I'm going to, we're going to work through them. And, and the first thing that we're, we're going to talk about is, is the idea of hobby risk. So hobby risk is something that that's really what this podcast episode is about. And you don't want to get into a situation where you're chasing a new hobby every couple of months and investing huge amounts of money to try it out only to find out it's not for you. And you kind of know a hobby is not for you. Everything you do in life involves solving some sort of problem. So let's just say you're a... Um, I, I don't do this one, but just say you flew model airplanes. Well, there's a lot of problems that need to be solved with getting an airplane off the ground and, and landed back on the ground. And if you don't enjoy solving those problems, you're going to sort of lose interest in that hobby in a hurry. So I think when you're looking at a hobby, it's important to look at it and say, look at it very critically and say, what kind of problems are pe people trying to solve in this hobby? Say you like building models and it involves a lot of integral small putting small pieces together and you think you like that, but you hate painting. But but model making maybe involves a lot of painting. So you might look at it and say, Oh, I think I'd like putting together all the little pieces into a model, you know, a sense of accomplishment. But it turns out you don't like to do anything with paints, then you'd lose interest in that hobby in a hurry. So or just say you like photography there I, i'm gonna throw this one a lot i'm not a photographer and I, I don't particularly enjoy photography but photography surprisingly involves being outside in inclement weather a lot like being being outside in the winter being outside in i i know people like to take um i, I see a lot of these and they fascinate me pictures of storms and in storm skies and I find those super interesting. Or people like taking pictures of, of um, waterfowl, like birds and ducks and swans. It turns out they tend to like to be out in the damp, rainy weather. Uh, so I hear. I'm not a, again, I'm not a photographer. But, uh, or if you like birds, just say you like taking pictures of birds. They migrate in the spring and in the fall. So again, the weather's not perfect. So being a photographer, it turns out, might involve you know, if you like photog taking photography of wild uh, life, it might involve being in bad weather. Another one, I know some, I don't fish, but I know people that fish and the fishing season, um, I know the, the trout season is in the early spring and the salmon, I think is in the late fall. So again, the not ideal weather. So if you, if you start looking at a hobby and, and realizing 
you think you like it and you go and buy a bass boat for $30,000 <laughs> and you find out that a lot of that fishing's done in, you know, the, not the nicest weather, but you really like to be warm and dry. Turns out you're going to hate it. Here's another one. I love canoeing. I love canoeing and backpacking. And June and July are really warm months, but they're terrible for canoeing and backpacking because of the bugs. The best time to go is like early spring, late fall. Well, the nights are kind of cool. So you have to decide, you know, you have to put up some discomfort in sleeping to enjoy the canoeing. So there's a problem to be solved. You need to figure out how to stay warm at night while you're camping, you're sleeping, so you can enjoy the the warm daytime. So if you don't like gathering firewood and and setting up tents and like you have to like solving the problem of staying warm to enjoy canoeing and backpacking. And what I find so fascinating about that is from person to person, from family member to family member, friend to friend, we all might enjoy or tolerate different levels of nuances within within each hobby and we may find one hobby so enjoyable and and just the next person just doesn't and that's I think what makes hobbies so unique and and very personable and I think you you can quickly figure out and we might get to this in the episode I I I think it's coming up but if you are if you start a hobby with almost no equipment or no supplies and you you discover you need these things as your the hobby's evolving then you probably you probably haven't done enough research before you started it i i, I have a question that came that has come to mind since uh, since what you were saying earlier and i i was going to save it for later but i'm going to ask it now and it's kind of just an introduction to hobbies for you personally and and maybe the introduction to hobbies for your children as well. And for, for you, how heavily, and this is right before again that we get to um, uh, the three minimums that a hobby should have. But before, before that, how heavily or how important do you think it was that maybe your parents introduced you to certain hobbies and that you introduced your kids to certain hobbies and how did that come about and in the sense of those sticking or those maybe it being a hobby that resonated with your 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 parents and their but it didn't really resonate with you but they kind of thought they wanted to introduce you to hobbies and 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 then therefore kind of passing that same kind of framework on with your children so it's it's important to expose your children to different things to to for discovery to see if they like it. So I think as a child, I wasn't exposed to many things. I was kind of exposed to whatever my father thought he was interested in is what I was exposed to. And that kind of makes sense on the surface because as a parent, you know, you, you, you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. So you would expose your kids to the things you know. And if you're good at it, you can expose them to it and help your, your child get better at it. It kind of makes sense. But I think as a parent... I kind of felt it was my responsibility to expose my children to things I never actually was exposed to just because I, but you, you can go overboard in this. I mean, if you get your kid exposed to too many things, they'll, they'll just be paralysis by analysis. They won't know what to pick, but I think you have to let your kids lead you a bit. So, and here's a discovery I made. So my son, he was in scouts and he enjoyed scouts, but he really enjoyed cadets. And I thought cadets was I didn't know anything about it, but on the surface, it looked kind of uh, terrible. <laughs> you know, a bunch of rules and 
uh, and and I, I just couldn't see the fun in it. But my son was super interested, so we went and, and got him into cadets, and he ended up really excelling at it, becoming the the commander in chief of his cadet corps, and he he really enjoyed it, and he still talks fondly of it today. But as he was in it, I learned more about it, and I thought, wow, I would have loved this as a kid. I mean, I I, I still resent my parents for not putting me in cadets to this day because he went to cadet camps. He he did things that you wouldn't otherwise experience had you not gone to cadets. He went to this cadet camp where the camp was run completely by teenagers or, or cadets. The, the adults have very little involvement in it. And there was about 2,000 cadets there. Could you imagine being in a camp for the whole summer run by kids for Two, and 2,000 of them together, and it, it ran like clockwork. I mean, these these the chain of command was incredible. So they uh, they really had it figured out. But anyway, I, so there was something I knew. I was never exposed to as a kid. I exposed my kid to it, and then now I kind of wish I was exposed to it. But I think you probably want to err on the side of exposing your kid to more rather than less. I exposed all my kids to music and it because I, I enjoyed music as a kid and none of my kids, you know, gravitated to music. I exposed my kids. Okay, I was a terrible athlete as a kid. Well, as an adult too. I exposed my kids to sports and none of them really took to sports. We exposed our kids to the arts and and some of that stuck. So I think it it rounds your children out. It, it makes them better people. Uh, it, we'll see if it leads to them pursuing hobbies as adults. No, I think that well-rounded approach is so crucial. And 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 like you said, also expose expose your kids to maybe what you were ex- what you were exposed to, but also what you weren't too. So I like that really again well-rounded approach. So let's let's dig into a really kind of key part of this episode: three minimums. Um, three minimum hobbies you should have. So I'll list them all out and we'll go through So them. I just want to say, I, I'm a firm believer that you should not just have one hobby. So this this is the, the whole key to this. And Why not? Well, I, I think one hobby is very limiting. And when you, we go through these three, you'll, you'll see that if you, if you picked one and it was only had one of these elements, you would really be robbing yourself of a, a full life experience. So... You should have a minimum of three hobbies. So a hobby that exercises your body, a hobby that exercises your mind, and a hobby that exercises your soul. So I just want to say these aren't my, I didn't come up with these. I've read these. I don't know who to give credit to because I have read many a people came up with it. The one that I seen was uh, Theodore Roosevelt, previous president of the United States. Uh, these, these, are, these were his beliefs. So in some other... You could credit a lot of people with these. It's been repeated many times over history, but I think this is a pretty solid list. I don't think you could add any or 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 omit one of these and really be well rounded. And I think as well, and and I'm I'm sure you would say this too, Trevor. That can a hobby is it is it can a, you have one hobby that checks all of these off or? Should you aim for a hobby that intentionally checks each one off individually? Well, I think there can be some overlap. So I'm going to give you examples of each one. So a hobby that exercises your body. So for me, I love mountain biking. So that that absolutely exercises your body, sometimes too much. It, it's very intense 
exercise, especially if you have somewhere to ride your bike where there's a lot of hills. So uh, this one also puts you out in nature, which can be a mind or soul type of experience as well, if you let it be. But if you could just put the blinders on and make this exercise and not get any mind or soul experience out of it, it's it's how you approach it, right? So, and if you are really caught up in the kind of mountain bike you rode and, and the speed at which you rode and you maybe you have a an Apple watch and you're tracking your your speed and your uh, your heart rate and, and you're approaching it very technically, then I guess the fact that you've brought in technology that could be <laughs> another hobby, but let's put that aside. If you're approaching it like from uh, uh, measuring your progress, then you're probably not getting mind or soul out of that. It's just core exercise. And there's nothing wrong with that. That I, I tend to approach it mostly for exercise, but I like to get a bit of take in the nature while I'm out there. No, that's a good example of of that. And I like, I really like the piece that you brought up about kind of the perspective around an activity. So not only can one person have, one person to one person have a different perspective on a hobby, but the same individual. So you, when you're out there mountain biking, it can mean something different to you from even one ride to the next ride. And and, and even overall in general, if you're approaching it with a, a certain perspective, it doesn't, not a wrong perspective, just a different perspective than, than someone else who enjoys trail riding. Um, so I, exercise for your mind. What's an example of this? So this could be, so I have a fascination with history and, and it involves a lot of reading and a lot of uh, sort of deep dive down rabbit holes of history. So I love World War I history and I used to focus on the Western front of World War I and I've recently been fascinated with the Eastern front. So this is the, between Austria and anybody in Russia, anyone who's interested in World War I history or Germany and Russia, the Russian front. So I'm finding that one, it was a dramatically different war, and I find it remarkable that the, the Germans were able to fight sort of a trench stalemate type of war on one front and a very actively fast-moving war on another front. That's just how powerful that German army was in World War I. A little side note of history, but the exercise in the mind is is really, I, I like to do history, you know, what if this happened, you know, how would it have changed the course of some event in history? I like to do the the what if analysis, and that's a real really gets the mind working. And I'll actually document my my what if analysis, and I'll try to figure out how the chain of events might have changed. So it really and you can go on different history forums on the internet and run these ideas by people, and it's really interesting to get feedback on it. But exercising the mind, it's. Uh, when I go into these deep dives on history, I come out the other end exhausted. You know, I really do. Like I, I say, okay, I've had enough of the Eastern Front. I got to move on. You know, okay, this this is wearing me out. But I really, it, so reading is a way to exercise the mind. My father, he plays chess, loves chess, and he will set up a three or four chess boards. So he's playing one game, and he plays a, uh, games where it's like a move a day. So he, he emails with a friend and they'll email and move back and forth. And he will set out three or four chess boards and play, you know, 10 moves ahead. You know, what if he does this, then I do this. And if he does that, I do this. And he tried to play out 10 or, or 15 moves ahead to see 
how this game might unfold if it, based on on his move. So it's it's in it. I'll go to visit him and I'll say, "How's it going?" He says, "Oh, I'm exhausted. You know, I've been I've been strategizing about chess all day, and it, it really it's a good exhausted." But he that that kind of thing that gets your mind working to the point that you you exhaust yourself. I think that that is the the neural development. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I gotta think if you work that mind, you're you're creating new pathways that weren't there before. So you know, reading fiction versus reading nonfiction like history. I think I, so. I've read that it creates different pathways in your brain. Like it, if if you find it hard to read Sherlock Holmes written in Old English or or World War One history, if you find that challenging, then that means new neuron paths are being, you know, formed in your, in your brain. I mean, it's, it's like waking up with sore muscles the next day after mountain biking. So it, I think exercising the mind is a powerful thing. And I'm going to say most of this hobby is relatively inexpensive. I want to put a money spin on this. When you're looking at hobbies to exercise your mind, they, you'll know you picked the right one if it's really a low cost base. I'm glad you said that. You echoed the thoughts from my own mind. I was just about to say how low cost this number two is, the thing that exercises your mind. And I mean, you mentioned history. I mean, go to any library, check out a book. That is as easy as it gets. And I, that's this point is is very important. And, and I like that you said that sometimes it can feel hard because when you think about hobbies, you think it just should be something you're diehard passionate about, which actually I do have a question on that, but I'll get back to that. And so it's, it's, it's really interesting here that sometimes something may be a little bit tough at first, but that you can get better at it and more passionate about it. We're going to get to this later, but make no mistakes. Your hobbies need to be challenging. They need to be hard. They need to be something that keeps you interested. If, if your hobby's easy, if your hobby is solitaire, you're going to figure that out that like that's Netflix you, yeah, or Netflix. <laughs> you you want your hobby to, to present challenges so you can, that, that's where the satisfaction is going to come from. And that it's super counterintuitive when you think about it. And, 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 and we will, I'm not going to talk anymore about this. We will get to, we'll get to that in hobby considerations. That is, we've got um, five really great points in that section. You know, this history, this historical society I belong to, they have speakers that will go up and do a presentation on some sort of historical event. And I keep saying to my wife, I said, I want to do one of those. I want to do a presentation. And every time I hear one, I, I'm kind of demoralized, meaning because the, the, the people that do these have done so, so much research that I keep thinking, you know, they take, they've taken it to another level, their research, the I, I'm, I'm an amateur historical researcher and I, I love that I'm chasing something like I, I've got a, a, something I'm aiming for. And, and so I got, I've got a goal. I want to do a presentation to the historical society at some point. That's a goal of mine. And every time I hear someone do a presentation, I, I, I'm making mental notes, but I'm seeing just how far away I am. And I love that challenge. It's energizing. It, it sounds like something. It's energizing you, which is is great. The last um, hobby. So the the third hobby that you should have in your life is a hobby that exercises your soul, like we've been talking about. And this one sounds kind of vague, but it's really this is doing something that 
that makes you feel good. And it, it usually comes in the form of doing something that's bigger than yourself, doing something. And, and it would you, just say you were part of the Lions Club. And the Lions Club, they do all sorts of things to raise money for real good causes. Or if you were a member of the United Way or Habitat for Humanity, these, you know, volunteering for these causes, it's good. You, I think it's important everyone should do something bigger than themselves. Do something for a cause you believe in. And this is what you'll get back. You'll get paid back enormously just, if you've never volunteered, okay, say you say you've got a young family, like you just don't have time, you should take a lot of gratification in the growth of your children. And, and but but once you're done raising children and you move, don't don't give up and just focus on yourself. Keep putting yourself out there and be, become part of an organization that is doing something for a, a cause you believe in that. What you'll get back is huge. I know this one was huge for, I think, my younger development. And I, did, I, I loved volunteering, but whether it was with my school or, or outside of my school. And I think this one was was huge into... So even, I think, maybe as a parent, um, getting your, pushing your children into kind of volunteering opportunities, I think is so... It's I think it's important. So we're now going to jump... Um, and talk about hobby perspectives. So these are things to keep in mind when you're thinking about hobbies. And and just before even that, I, I think this episode, it's so universal because I mean, whether we already have a hobby we love, whether we're interested in pursuing a new hobby, whether there's a hobby from the three minimums we are missing, I think I think it's always I think it's always valuable to go back and reevaluate uh, the hobbies and 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 the perspectives that we should be considering when we're looking at our hobbies. So number one, the first hobby perspective of three is beware of the hobby inside the hobby. And so I'm going to pick on photographers. I, I used to always go into use furniture making as an example because that's a hobby of mine. But I want to I want to pursue and I'm not a photographer so I apologize to the photographers out there if I've offended you but this is what I'm going to use so the hobby inside the hobby so it turns out if you're a photographer there's actually two hobbies there's the hobby of of taking really fabulous photos and making them putting them online or or sharing them or selling them or or there's all sorts of things you can do with photos you take and enhancing them. You can do Photoshop. That That's one aspect of the hobby. The other aspect is collecting camera equipment in, in camera lights in the camera lenses. That's a hobby too, it turns out. And there's a lot of people who, if you, you know, they say, I'll, I'll meet somebody and say, so what are you interested in? <laughs> I never asked that, but uh, you say, what do you do? And it, we end up, you know, if you get a conversation with somebody new you've met, you you find out they're, for, they're into photography. And they will talk about cameras and lenses endlessly. They will rarely talk about fabulous photo opportunities they've had. But, and I'm saying there's nothing wrong with being a camera collector. But that's a, a very fine hobby, if this is one you've chose. Just know, don't don't pretend you're a photographer. Know that you're a camera collector and a camera lens collector and a camera tripod collector. Just know that's your hobby. 
Otherwise, you'll get frustrated and you'll frustrate all the people around you, right? So be a camera collector. If that's what gives you gratification, it's, it's a very expensive hobby. I'll just warn you that it can be outrageously expensive. But if owning camera equipment fascinates you, then let that be your hobby. Another one, this is a common one, is crafts. So there's people who love scrapbooking and there's people who love collecting scrapbooking supplies. Those are where, that's where Michaels comes yeah, in. Yeah, those are two separate hobbies, completely separate. And you kind of know which one you're in is if you start your photography hobby with your iPhone. Love to get an iPhone reference in whenever I can. If you start your photography and you 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 keep comparing your pictures to somebody else and saying, "Oh, my pictures look terrible," but you keep taking them and maybe you start photoshopping them to make them look a little better, but you're out there taking pictures all the time. You've got like so many pictures you don't know where to store them and finally you realize you know you ask bob you know what are you using to get your picture so good oh i got this canon three thousand dollar canon camera oh that's what you're using i'm using a iphone 6 <laughs> you know and it, it it's takes crappy pictures but so it it turns out they're separate hobbies but just be aware of what hobby you're chasing so I love this point because I think this is a revel, a revel, revelation. This is a revelation for maybe a lot of ind- individuals listening. I know, I know we're planning the show. Trevor tells me about this. I'm like, wow, like it hit home because I'm sure, I'm sure everyone listening to this episode today has a thing in their life that they're convinced is a hobby, but it's actually a hobby inside a hobby. I know mine from a child was beading or, you know, making jewelry, that that kind of hobby. And the big thing that goes off in my head and kind of, not a warning sign, but it kind of a sign that can help you identify if it's an actual hobby or a hobby inside of a hobby is the organization of the thing that you do your hobby with. So for me, I was always organizing my beads and and finding new storage containers um, and making sure everything was set up perfectly to begin that hobby. And so that was a dead giveaway. Um, And maybe for books, if, if you... If you love reading or you love collecting books, maybe your bookshelf is order like impeccably organized by by author, by color, or by size. Maybe that's like the thing, and you're always just like making sure everything's in order. So those are kind of two examples of of what that might look like. But I think this one is is very key, and I think another thing around this, and I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor, but is 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 not thinking, and like you said, not thinking that I think is one is worse. Or better or worse than the other I think like you said just the realization of it and 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 that might give you maybe insight into if you'd like to keep pursuing that hobby with that knowledge yeah and it could save you a ton of money right it, in the end a lot of frustrating the people around you I think if, if you think of an a, a real artist studio if you've ever seen an artist studio I have seen some and they are a mess they are a disaster <laughs> It looks like a bomb went off. There's mm-hmm. paint everywhere and there's there's half-started paintings everywhere. But the art they create is beautiful. But you, you look at a real artist studio and, and if you ever go on Instagram and you look at somebody who's faked up an art studio, it looks super organized. I mean, clean. clean. And I doubt a whole lot of art's going on there. Now, I, I could be off base. There could be the artist who's really organized and tidy and clean. But any artist I've been around, their place 
where they work is a dump. And I look at it and say, how do you get anything done in here? And they say, don't touch a thing. <laughs> I know where everything is. But I, I think if I had to take a survey of all the people, okay, I don't go into Michael's craft store very often, but I'd like, I'm curious to how many people in that craft store are pursuing the hobby or pursuing the supplies of the hobby. It'd be interesting to take a poll, right? I, I don't think you'd get an honest answer from anybody, but it'd be interesting to, if you could be in the parking lot with a polygraph tester, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> sampling everybody who comes at the door and, and finding out what, what the real truth is. Yeah, no, that's, as as someone who's obsessed with Michaels and, and maybe collecting art and craft supplies, I, I, I'd have to say it'd be it'd be slanted in one way. The, I want to throw out one more example for a hobby instead you know, of a I, hobby. I want to just throw one more <laughs> yes. thing out there. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I subscribe to a, a streaming service called The Great Courses. And it's I, I do it mostly for the history stuff they offer. And they offer audio and video um presentations and, and I, I listen to the audio of course I'm on an audio junkie but I there's one on there on learn how to draw and I don't know if I'm really interested in learning how to draw but I, I watched it just because it piqued my interest right so I watched it and I watched I think the first it's a 12 10 or 12 part episode ep, episodes within the, the program and the first five were on all the equipment <laughs> like various pencils and rulers and erasers and ru it just went on and on and on and if if there's 10 sort of chapters to this course five of them were burned through on acquiring equipment to draw so i'm thinking there's going to be some pretty groundbreaking stuff happening in the last five to teach you actually how to draw so i think this one is really geared to uh it was probably sponsored by michael's craft store if i had to guess <laughs> Oh, I love it. Um, no, that's that's a good example. And my final example for a hobby instead of a hobby is um, I'm, I'm running. And this is this comes to mind because uh, I like Lululemon, the running store. Those stores exist for for selling athletic clothing for these activities. But I know someone in my life who he he literally will find them like the randomest shirt in the back of his closet, throw on a hoodie, um, grab his pair of, 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 of shoes off the floor and like running shoes and, and head out for a run. And like nowhere near, um, I don't say fashionable, but no one, nowhere near kind of like color coordinated outfit, but he's, he's out there to run. And, and that's someone that's kind of a really obvious definition of someone who, who is in it for, for the, the hobby of it, the running versus um, kind of the accessories to the hobby. So, um, sometimes I think sometimes it's clear or sometimes it's really obvious to yourself or, or maybe even ask the people around you like, do, do you think this is a hobby instead of a hobby or just a hobby in itself? Cause sometimes you can get into that, into that cycle of convincing yourself of something again, not a bad thing one way or the other, but just knowledge. You know, an example for me is I love mountain biking. I'm riding a, I think it's a 12 or 13 year old mountain bike and it, it won't stay in some of the gears and it, it skips gears and it, it makes a lot of noises it probably shouldn't. And I, I don't maintain it near as much as I probably should, but I just love to ride. And I, I, the thought of, sh of shopping for a bicycle is so, I just get anxiety over the idea of, uh, bike technology changes so rapidly, I don't even want to get my head in it. So I know mountain biking is my thing because I'm, I'm going to go out on my 12 or 13 year old mountain bike as long as I can to avoid having to, shop for a bike because I don't even want to go into that minefield. 
No, and that's so it's again a really intuitive thing that comes to mind. So the second second of three hobby perspectives to consider is hobbies that are 10 feet deep rather than 10 feet wide. This is a concept we talked about before, but what does this mean, Trevor? So I often use furniture making for this one, so I promised I wouldn't this time, so I'm not going to. But 10, 10 feet deep rather than 10 feet wide, let's go back to photography. So you could take pictures of just everything, you know, just take a picture of everything that moves, right? That that And... That, that's going 10 feet wide on photography. You just you just take random photos. You never really get good at at, at framing a photo or, or, you know, capturing a moment because you're just taking pictures of all sorts of things. But if you focus on just wildlife photos or even even go deeper, just focused on bird, photoing birds, you, you get to learn where to find the birds, what time of day, and then what's you, you might put a goal out there to take a picture of, you know, as many species or, or, or types of birds you can in a, in a given s- season. But if you go 10 feet deep on a hobby, you will become a, a very specialized expert and you'll learn about nuances of, of that, that very specific thing of that hobby that other people will just touch on. But I think if you go 10 feet deep in a hobby, you end up, okay, you, you save money. You probably only need a certain kind of camera lens, right? You don't need wide angle and, uh, tell, and tell, tell us. telephoto lens. I don't even know the names of them all. But you, you, the, the equipment you would need for wildlife is randomly different than, than for like any photography. So I think going 10 feet deep on a hobby, you, you be, get very specialized. And I think you get a lot of gratification and you end up being able to do more research and just get better at your craft by going 10 feet deep. And I, I agree on that because it goes back to your whole thing about history is that you getting better and better at or, more, or kind of diving deeper into into history and, and maybe a certain subset of history allows you to learn more like that invigorates you. So this could be the same thing. And, and I mean, you kind of mentioned the money spin on it. It really, it, it you can go kind of 10 feet wide on everything and, and justify the cost of the things that you're buying. But 10 feet deep, you probably need less um, equipment and, and less, there's probably going to be less cost associated with your, with your hobby. You know, you history as an example. So if somebody said, what are you interested in? I could say, oh, I'm really interested in history. I could say, well, actually military history, actually first world war military history. So you can really go, uh, you know, if you niche down three times on something, you tend to get at the core of what you really are gravitating toward. No, I, I love, I love that niche down three times. So the third, we're going to jump onto the third hobby perspective. And this one we've talked about before as well, but it's so worth mentioning and hobbies that are intertwined. Um, so pursue a hobby that leads to another hobby. And so this kind of, it, it almost sounds like it contradicts the one we just talked about, but it doesn't. So I'll give you an example. Just so, just say you're into canoeing and backpacking, and you're into uh, working with wood, and you build a canoe. So obviously, clearly, building the canoe leads to canoeing and camping, right? So you kind of intertwine the hobbies. It almost feels like you're going ten feet deep on both of them because you you've intertwined them. You've built the canoe, so you've you've kind of gone. 10, so if you're into woodworking, you're, you're, 
you're very specific on on boat building, right? That's a that's going deep on a hobby, and you're using that canoe to go canoe and backpacking. It's a very specific kind of camping and wilderness experience. So that's an example. Another one my son is thinking of pursuing is he 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 likes woodworking and he likes winter camping, and he wants to make his own snowshoes. So that's that's an in, intertwining two hobbies and. The snowshoe making is very specific woodworking activity. It, it requires, you know, a special skill set. So you're going to go 10 feet deep on that. And then winter camping, well, that's very specific. I'm never going there, <laughs> just for the record. <laughs> but th- that's that's super specific. So there is a couple of of strategies. I, I think the intertwining hobbies, it it you could almost bring, like, just say you loved photography of, of wildlife, I mean, you're kind of intertwining that with your canoeing and backpacking experience. So you bring all those things together and I think you you get to enjoy hobbies at a whole other level. And because they're related, you kind of, you're going to save yourself a bit of money because you're not complete, you're kind of partially invested in all of these hobbies. And I, I think you're getting more enjoyment for, you're, you're kind of double dipping on your hobby dollars. I like that. And let's not forget too that if we circle kind of the hobby within the hobby back to the minimums, the hobby minimums, the three hobby minimums we were talking about earlier, I mean, that research to build that canoe, to build a canoe paddle, that that is exercising the mind. So in and it's nice because so we talked about earlier that maybe the same hobby can't check off all of the boxes. But when you take the hobby within a hobby approach, you you kind of maybe go from the library to your workshop to the outdoors and each of those you're exercising a different thing and in a different environment so and it really feeds in each other and it almost makes that that end goal it's very rewarding because you kind of it's a process as well so it feels like one autonomous start and finish from the library to that canoe trip so let's jump into hobby considerations trevor this is where all my questions come in for you as we work through the hobby considerations there's five um so let's jump in so number one is most hobbies can be test driven without much expense and i think you you if you're you're, if you're quick to pull out your wallet for in life in general i think you really need to look at a hobby and say can i do this with what i have you know, can I start from where I am with what I have? And I can say, if you're honest with yourself, before you've spent a single dollar, you can, you can get yourself into the hobby. Like, just say you want to be a pilot. Okay, so you probably think you need a plane, right? Well, you, there's flight simulators. You can, you know, you you can. It's not a clearly flying a plane, but you could get a real feel for it if you like solving the problems that pilots have to solve in a flight simulator. So. There's ways you can limit the amount of money you need to spend. And I think we do like to make excuses as well for this. If if there's something that we really want to try or do or think that we like the idea of doing or trying, we'll kind of convince ourselves, like for mountain biking, you might have a bike with no front shocks. And anyone who's into mountain biking, you know that those front shocks are really important to absorb when you're going over roots and rocks. But you can go mountain bike with no shocks. It might not be as 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 comfortable or as as easy of a ride, but it's it's doable. So I think I think if we want to dip our toes into something, we we might have to make some compromises when we do it, but it, it is possible. So here's a an example is I 
maybe three years ago, I joined an, an orchestra group in my in my local town. There's this this organ orchestra. It's it was basically a brass and woodwinds, and I joined it with a bass. I played like a bass electric bass, and I had an old one, and I had a really old bass amp, and they they needed a bass in their band, so there was. I joined them and I learned how to basically how to read music and I, I was able to play and we played some live concerts and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know, I've been doing this for a year, a whole season. I'm going to upgrade my equipment. And I upgraded my equipment and for whatever reason I lost interest. And I, I just, I ended up getting stressed out about the rehearsals and the live performances and I ended up quitting and so sad story, I, I started out with really crappy equipment and got really good at it. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to take this to another level. I'm going to invest some money in some equipment and I'll, I'll be that much better. And for whatever reason, I, I did that exactly the wrong moment and, and lost interest. And of course, I, I ended up selling that equipment for, you know, half price or 60% of what I paid for it, lost money on the whole deal. So learning experiences, if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. I'm glad you brought up that example because it is, it, it, I'm going to ask one of the questions I was saving for later, but I'm going to ask it now. And I also brought up a different question as well, just from that example alone. And my first question is, is this, maybe this belief in, and maybe you've been in the, sh the shoes before as well, but this idea or belief that in order for it to be a real hobby, that you have to put money into it or more money into it or you have to if if you're passionate about even podcasting this is a good example our podcast I mean that feeling that maybe you or running that feeling that you should own more running clothes or you should put more money into that thing because you're so passionate about it. and for you obviously with your orchestra that showed you that maybe that wasn't always the case but despite that example do you sometimes find yourself clinging to that belief and or how differently has your perspective been changed since that orchestra experience you know i'll use the mountain bike thing as an example too or or even an artist is the tools tend to not add as much to the experience as as working at the craft or working at the sport you know a stronger heart and better lungs is going to get me through uh mountain biking trails um, faster or more enjoyably than than a, a $5,000 bike. You know, an artist's ability to use a brush or a pencil, it, it's, it's what, it's their vision. Okay, I'm not an artist, but from what I understand, it's, it's, it's how they see things and how they develop that, that skill. It's not their ability to use a pencil or a brush physically, that, that tactile experience is not the the missing link, uh, playing a musical instrument. It's about reading the music and, and learning how to keep time. It's not about the, the, the cost of your instrument. The, the, the equipment you use tends to, like even the camera, people that can capture and see something that, that would make a great photo, the camera itself makes up a small piece of capturing that moment. It's seeing it and saying, oh, that's going to be a great shot. That's the skill that needs to be honed and developed, not another piece of camera equipment to make you better at it. Even uh, furniture making, it, it's, not the, it's, it's not another saw or, or piece of woodworking equipment that's going to make me make better furniture. It's understanding 
wood movement and, and being patient and, and, and being sort of very careful with my layout lines, it's those skills that are going to enhance the finished product. So even, even a runner, if that's your hobby, you, you enjoy running marathons, shoes are only going to do so much for you, right? It, it's that training, that, that regular discipline of going out and running and, and pushing yourself. That's what's going to make you a better marathoner, not, not, not the more expensive shoes and quick dry clothes. They will make the experience more pleasurable, but it's, it's not going to take you to the next level in that particular interest. But what if, and I think that is the question that we all maybe find ourselves in when it comes to hobbies. And I ask that because there always is a financial impact or financial cost to asking that question and, and being in that space. What if, what if that new pair of shoes could make A, the hobby more enjoyable or B, actually make that hobby more possible? Because we all know that an iPhone while the technology has really come along, might not be able to do the same thing a DLSR can pretend. Pretend that is the case um, for a specific photographer. Is where's that fine line between? We've we've pushed this hobby as far as we can with the money that we've put into it, and we can spend more money in this hobby to push it just that much further. And you have firsthand experience with the orchestra experience. So where's that fine line? Would you say to someone who is considering investing more money in that hobby? You generally need, so if you're going to err on the side of caution, err on the side of caution that you need to develop your skill more than you need to add equipment. But at some point, you're right. You're going to hit the wall and you're going to do all you can with what you have. And then you want to take it to the next level. You're going to have to invest some money. I think that that moment will be so obvious. It'll be people, everyone around you will be telling you, why aren't you moving on to something better? Like what, what, what's holding you back? Let let the people around you bring it to your attention rather than you saying, you know, should I should I get a, a fancier camera? What do you think? Like if you have to ask the like if you have to ask the question or or people say, I can't believe what you do with the equipment you have. When people start commenting on that, that they, they can't believe how good you are doing with what you have, then you might be at the point where you need to invest some more money. But it's gonna be it it will be obvious. I love that. That that resonates so hard, and I'm sure it is with our listeners as well. Um, but I, I like that, and because I think that is often something we fall into that limiting belief. So you've cleared that up. You know, we've been My, doing this podcast for four years. Yeah, yeah it's a good and example. These microphones are the same mics we started with four years ago. Yes, and there is, if you get in the podcast world, there is microphone junkies out there they, they, there there's whole podcast recording junkies yeah. like it, it's a, it's a, it, you can like dangerous stuff and we've been same and we record on macbook macbooks same i can honestly tell you it's it the key to a podcast is the content creation that that you you could have the best sounding mic in the world but if your content isn't resonating with your audience your podcast is dead so your microphone is going to change your sound quality microscopically compared to bad content no this that's it that's a really great example my final question for point number one um before we move on to the uh the second of five hobby considerations is in this goes back to orchestra example i'm going back to this because i'm sure we have listeners who are in the same boat so you obviously went through an evolution you want at one when you first joined the orchestra you were so passionate about it that was exactly what you wanted to be doing 
Did you stay in that hobby a little bit longer than you would have intended to just because you invested money into it? And what's the danger of that? And and how common do you think that is that people and people buy uh, maybe expensive boats, things that are maybe more expensive than a base and an amp and stay in it and not like it. And, and it just, it gets miserable. So here's how, here's the reason I got out of it. So I joined this orchestra and I got looking around and I'm going to say 70% of the people in this orchestra were, were of the retired age. They were not working. And the guy running the orchestra, he was also retired. And we, I, he started and said, okay, we're going to be doing, uh, I think, 20 pieces of music for the season. So over the course of the season, we had to learn 20 pieces of music. And we had regular weekly rehearsals. And I thought, okay, I think I can learn 20 pieces of music. Because it, it takes a couple of weeks to really get good at a piece. And then you also have to keep these pieces of music in your head or like you, you, you have to not forget how to play them when you learn the next one. So at the end of the season, you got to be able to play these 20 pieces. Well, the 20 grew into 30 because it turns out all these retired people had nothing but time on their hands to learn new pieces of music. And I didn't realize that till the second season. You know, I didn't, I realized it was getting harder than I thought it was going to get. And that's where the stress started coming in is I, I couldn't keep all these pieces of music together and so by the sec, so I thought, okay, I must need a new bass. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. But then you're right. Once I bought the bass, I, I did come to the realization, oh, these guys keep adding music to this thing and they got nothing but time to practice it. And I'm working a you know, regular job. So I stuck with it be- probably a whole extra season because I invested so much money in this equipment. So you're right. I ended up sticking it out and 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 wishing I, I could quit. But at a subconscious level, I thought, well, I can't. I just bought this new equipment. And you brought up the really kind of key piece. Um, if like if only I had equipment Y, tool X and that I think I think we need to probably ask ourselves that question. Why, why do I feel like I need this new thing? Well, it was getting harder, but, you know, to to. to keep up and I thought well maybe the equipment is going to help me keep up and it turned no, out and, there was another problem and th- and that I feel I'm just I just I think that point is so key to to just be real and honest with ourselves when we're looking at hobbies and ask if that's actually the thing behind the thing about why maybe we're not enjoying it or why we feel other people are are, are maybe thriving or more passionate or more happy or more content when they're doing that hobby than than we feel might just be it might just not be a good fit so I said to them I'll see you later when I retire I'll be back no and that I think that realization that the hobby is not a good fit and and cutting your loss not your losses but kind of cutting ties with the hobby or taking space in the hobby is really I think it's admirable because you, you realize what is what is actually enjoyable in your free time and it should be enjoyable so number two um the second of five hobby considerations is the more equipment or supplies you add to a hobby the more complexity you introduce and so this can take a hobby that you find super interesting and super accessible and easy to do and you start adding equipment to it and it starts to becoming more like work. So Courtney, you brought up the one of being a runner and just say you just put on your shoes, you went running and then you decided, oh, it'd be nice to listen to some music while I'm running, right? And so you you get your your phone and you wired earbuds up to your ears and you start running with that and you think you know it'd be really freeing if I had like bluetooth earbuds you know I didn't have this wire hanging so now you got to char- make sure they're charged right and then you pair them with your phone and then then you got them in and then 
Then you realize, you know what would be really nice? If I didn't even have to bring this phone, what if I had one of those fancy Apple watches and I connected that to my earbuds? Well, I got to make sure that's charged too. And then you start adding these layers of complexity. All of a sudden running becomes this thing you have to think about the day before, right? You, you, you don't just wake up and you don't just, yeah, I might go running right now. Oh, wait a minute. My earbuds aren't charged. My watch isn't charged. And there's no music on my, or there's no podcast on my watch. So I got it. And you, you start saying, okay, you know what? I'll go run another day. You end up deferring the hobby because you, you, it's so much work to do. Uh, here's one is, so we used, so when my kids were younger, we went camping a lot. And we decided a dining tent would really enhance our camping experience. So we thought, let's bring a dining tent and it'll really, it'll be a game changer. We thought this will, <laughs> this will be the, the answer. And what happened was the dining tent created this environment that we thought this should be like clean, like a kitchen clean. And what we used to just, we used to just hang a tarp over the picnic table just in case it rained and kept stuff from falling on the table. And that was where we ate. But then we set this dining tent. So, you know, you, you, you had this petition, there'd be no bugs in there. So the zipper up and down, you try to keep uh, five-year-olds or six-year-olds keep, get the zipper down on a dining tent. That's like, that's a, that's a battle you're never winning. So, and then trying to keep things clean in there, we ended up creating a work environment. Like we're trying to main the the maintenance level of the campsite went up tenfold because of the dining tent. And we tried this for a couple of years, and we thought, "Well, camping's a lot of work all of a sudden, you know." And the kids are getting older; it should be getting easier, but it's getting harder. And we realized this is this dining tent. This this dining tent raised the expectations of camping, and it was also one more thing to set up. So that that's an example where we added some equipment to our hobby. And it got harder and less enjoyable. So adding equipment, it, a lot of times it, it, it sounds like it's going it, to, camera's another one. So you go, you, you photography, again, I'm not a photographer, so I don't want to talk like I know things about, but I, I know photographers. And uh, there's the photographer who carries the one camera over their shoulder and they just whip it out, take a picture at a moment's notice. And then there's the 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 backpack photographer who's got a backpack full of lenses and camera bodies and given whatever they see and tripods, you know, there's a setup to be done and it's a big ordeal. Like they take fabulous pictures, but there's a lot of complexity to taking that photo. And then if you just take the photo with the wrong camera, you, you will sit back and say, Oh, this would have been a better shot had I had my other lens ready or whatever you, you end up, raising the expectations on the hobby. So I think it, it keeping it simple is quite often it's cost effective for sure, but it, it, a lot of times it can make a hobby more enjoyable. So that totally sounds like kind of the concept of diminishing returns. So if you look at, I'm going to use camping as an example, it's easy. It's very relatable, but obviously if you go camping with a tent, it's not going to be very enjoyable. I mean, if you're taking a hammock, I know you experience with that Trevor, but so tent, take a basic tent. If you're sleeping just on the ground, it's not going to be very comfortable. Usually you need a sleeping mattress, sleeping bag and a tent, and that makes it a lot more enjoyable. So in your personal experience, just in hobbies in general, just for anyone listening to this, who's kind of wondering before, obviously you found out because you bought a dining tent and that was kind of the point, the cutoff point, the, the sweet spot. So what are, what's your personal advice on kind of getting to that sweet spot but not passing it because sometimes we pass that sweet spot it can be an expensive 
kind of expensive, I don't want to say mistake, but expensive addition. So what what does that look like? How can we identify here's, it? Here's, that's a good question. And here's a way of identifying it. So just say you're into a craft. And when your craft reaches the point where you have to also become, uh, your craft it branches into organization. So the camera one's a good one. If, when you have to start researching camera bags, as much as you have to research camera equipment, so the storage of the camera equipment becomes a hobby all to itself. So when your hobby sort of branches off into organization, then you've, you've probably crossed the line, right? So if you're into scrapbooking and you also have a side hobby of organizing scrapbooking equipment, the org- if, so if, if you find yourself looking at organization aspects, tools to organize your hobby, you, you've probably crossed the line. And again, it, it, it taking into consideration that your hobby is not within a hobby. So if, if your hobby actually was scrapbooking and, and but it's merged, started merging into organization. So the next third consideration is you need to be realistic given your time constraints. So there's no sense having a hobby that you can only do a couple times a year. Because what, what's going to happen is you're going to, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. So just, okay, everyone I've mentioned before, I used to love golf. I was an avid golfer. And then I had twins and golfing four hours on a Saturday and having twins did not work well together. <laughs> I, I didn't even test drive it. I just knew it wouldn't. So I, realistically, I couldn't enjoy golf and have a family. So I parted ways with golf because I, couldn't part way with my family. <laughs> so then if I, if I would have just held on to golf, then every time I would get a, a chance to golf, I would want that golf experience to be the most awesome golf I ever did. And, and I'd throw money at it like you don't know. I'd, I'd go to the most expensive golf course, rent the fastest golf cart, <laughs> money you could drive. I don't know how you could throw more money at golf. Or I'd buy... better golf clubs so when I was out there I was shooting you know it it would enhance my game even more you you, your expectations of of the limited time you can do your hobby if if it's so infrequent just say it's canoeing and if you can only get it once a year and it pours rain that whole time you're out like you just you have to be realistic on your the time you can commit to a hobby so it it really I think in the if you if you can only do it a couple times or once a year, you'll probably end up spending way too much money to to make sure that experience is great. And I think related to that, actually, two things related to that. One is that pretend you only can do it once a year. Find a way to make it more than once a year. I mean, you mentioned winter camping. I mean, if you love summer camping, you might start to love winter camping. Like, make that your thing too. Like, incorporate that. Yeah, you you maybe you're tunnel visioned on the opportunities to do something. You can broaden your your perspective. And as related to time is location, and I think that I think that plays just as much time in or just as much of an impact in in time realistic time as is is it do you live uh like a realistic proximity away from the location to do the thing 
Yeah, I would agree with that. So the next, so the final, the second last hobby consideration four or five is the more specific your interest, the more engaged you will be. And by being very specific, you're going to limit the amount of money you need to spend on it. And you're probably going to surround yourself with the people who share that very specific interest. So we, there, there's, um, I, I know a guy who carves uh, wooden duck decoys. And so he's, he, you ask him what he does, he says, I'm a wood carver. And he carves wooden decoy ducks. And he would have very little in interest with somebody who carves, um, I don't, I, I, can't, I can't even think what else he'd carve, like a, or, a, a walking stick, someone who carves walking sticks. Those two people, they share somewhat of an interest in, oh, oh, here's another one. Okay, I'll go back to furniture making. So somebody who builds chairs and someone who builds canoes. They both work with wood. They both use similar tools, but they're not solving similar problems in their hobby. So they're con- even though they, they both, you could call them woodworkers, they really don't solve the same problems and that's really what a hobby is is solving problems and the constraints one has is not similar to constraints the other one has so i just think the more specific you are in your interest the more engaged you'll be and more importantly you'll surround yourself with like-minded people no i think that's it's it's it is an intuitive point but it's not it's not as intuitive as you would think because usually in our minds we think variety is more desirable than than kind of being specific. So I I do like this point um, because it does make sense. And I think when we do think about it, it, it does resonate with us. So last but not least on our list of hobby considerations is a hobby should involve challenge. Um, and, and, this, and this is what will sustain our interest. Yeah, so no matter what your hobby, it's, it's solving... You, it's going to involve solving problems. That, that's what we do as human beings. We solve problems. So look at your hobby that you're, you're thinking you might be interested in critically. Look at the problems people are solving. It's, you go into any user form on the internet and you, you'll see the questions being asked. As the people are getting into the hobby, they're running into these walls of problems and they're asking people, you know, how do you do this or how do you overcome that? And people throw out solutions. So find out what those are because otherwise you could burn through a lot of money realizing you don't like solving the problem of a hobby and then you'll invest some money and say, oh, this is monotonous. I don't like this. And move on to something else and say, this this is hard. I don't like this. Like reading, learning to play a musical instrument is really, it's about practicing uh, reading music so that's like learning a language. It's about uh, learning sort of um, your 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 hands to uh, memory, you know, a memory of where to find the notes. And it's also working with people. Like I was, you're not like, okay, some people play music all by themselves, but generally you're in like a, a band environment, an orchestra environment. So working with other people, like you have to like being around people. And... and so there's a, if you look at it critically, you have to enjoy a lot of things around music. Photography, you have to like a lot of, I think, alone time. I, I, I think a lot of photography is, is 
just say you like taking pictures in nature, you you probably want to like being by yourself in nature. You know, if you find that kind of lonely, <laughs> you're not going to like that. But really understanding the problems to be solved in a hobby, that that is, the quicker you can discover the problems that are involved and in, that need to be solved in a, in a hobby, the quicker you'll realize if that's your thing or not. So two quick questions from that is one, what if those challenges you encounter never get easier? What if it's, it's it, like learning guitar, I've, I've, I've done that and building those calluses up, getting your fingers to form the shapes of the chords, that's hard work. So obviously I, I learned it and it was, it was fine, but what if it just gets harder and harder and not as rewarding? Like at what point do you, I don't want to say give up, at what point did you decide that that hobby is not for you? You have to like the process in life. You have to like the process, not the end product. You always have to know you love the process of of learning to play guitar. You you have to otherwise you'll 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 plateau and you'll you'll say okay I learned it let's move on to something else. If you love the process of something, if you love the process, you'll you'll always be engaged. But if you're always chasing the the finish line or the end result, and that's that's when people will get frustrated because they're not getting there fast enough or they feel like they're never going to get there. So a hobby really is about the process. You should like the process. And and then like sometimes we do like how we feel at the end, such as running or or or, or whatever that hobby may be or finishing that project. So that's, that's you know, also running is a good one. If you talk to runners, they don't run for the finish line. They're running, you know, they're talking about their form their cardio, their endurance. Not many runners I know talk about the finish line. I used to be a runner. And I, I, in races, I wouldn't think about the finish line. You know, the, that was something that happened in a race. But the training is really what it's about, right? In, in, in personal bests and things like that. So, the, the, so that's the, you know, the epitome of finish lines is a race, right? And when I'm riding my mountain bike it's it's not about getting out of the trail it's enjoying being there so find the thing that you love the process of i i I really like that it's really compact and digestible um one final thought about this is do you believe that every hobby should have a challenge like what if i mean i'm gonna throw out some some ones without challenges but watching netflix watching youtube videos (laughs) there's not much challenge involved in that so and obviously we we know those aren't maybe legitimate hobbies but do hobbies by definition always have a challenge and if there is no challenge does does that mean that it might not be a hobby so think of hobby it's creation not consumption oh i love that i love that that is good um, so Trevor, we're at the end of our hobby consideration list and the end of the episode, I have four kind of speed around questions for you, um, that have come to mind throughout this whole episode that we haven't addressed yet, but are critical to address. Um, so I, I, I want to talk about the point of passion. So for me, I, I kind of came to this realization that, I mean, I also have a mutual love for mountain biking. Maybe other people listening to this might uh, identify with that as well, but I, I like, there's no other feeling for me then getting off the trail, I'm like, I'm in a Zen state. I am just on top of the world while I'm mountain biking. I just love everything about it. It's like, it's my thing. And it's just undescribable how much I love the whole process. Um, so, I mean, when we're looking at hobbies, are we always aiming for that thing? I mean, I know other people who feel that kind of feel so fulfilled by their jobs and we're always like, how can I find a job where I feel like that as well? So 
should a hobby always be like that? Should we always, if, so my question is if, if I'm someone listening to this and I don't feel that kind of euphoria, euphoria f- so fulfilled state when I'm doing my hobby, am I in the wrong hobby? No, I think a hobbies evolve, right? So when I say go 10 feet deep, you don't just find that the 10 foot hole and you're in it, right? <laughs> you, you wander toward that 10, 10 foot hole, right? So I just, I started out bicycling uh, on my own and then I had kids and I bought a trailer and I bicycled around town pulling my kids in a trailer and then I just started riding on trails and next thing you know I'm I'm sort of very specific biking I do now you know road riding is misery to me I, I love trail riding so that's an example camping I used to go what it's called car camping you know where you park your car on your campsite I haven't done that in years I love a backpack and a canoe that's that's camping that's very specific camping but I, I I don't think I could have just comfortably stepped into that environment in the middle of nowhere and maybe been unprepared so you, you I think a, a hobbies evolve but if you're interested enough you will go down the a, a rabbit hole of some kind so it sounds it sounds like a very intentional very deliberate I have my shovel out I'm kind of just digging exactly where I'm standing process yeah so my next question for you is something that I'm sure comes up quite a bit in it's if someone's in, in kind of their, their job is pursues a specific thing, should our hobby be related or unrelated to the thing that you pursue at work and, and why or why not? Well, I think when you introduce money into a hobby, I, I think once you put yourself on the clock or you're you're in a position where somebody is scrutinizing your work because they're giving you money for it. I I think it, it kind of takes the shine off of, of every hobby. And it, there's a difference between doing something because you want to and doing it because you have to. And if somebody's paying you, you have to do it. And whether it's convenient or inconvenient or you're in the moment or you're not in the moment, if you're being paid, you basically have to perform. So I, I think bringing money into it, I, I, don't, I don't believe you can have a job. Like you, you could get paid for what you do, but you should be willing to do it whether you're going to get paid for it or not. And then kind of stemming off that though, I mean, as an accountant, I'm, I'm, sure, this, I'm sure there is creative elements, but I'm sure there's not a ton, but I'm sure there is. But you have mentioned that you have dabbled in obviously music and in, in, in drawing and in, in maybe photography. Those are very kind of opposite spectrum of accounting, which is a little more analytical, a little more logical. So do you, do you think it's, in, do you intentionally kind of pursue something that's the opposite end that kind of intentionally doesn't look anything like your day job? So any organization I join, a historical society, um, my kids were in various things like scouts and, and hockey leagues. Uh, I've been on uh, parent, teacher, school councils. All of those things have a treasurer function. Every single one of them, they, they're trying to keep track of money. I mean, they're either they're fundraising or just the cost of doing whatever it is they do. Even my son's cadet program needed a treasurer. And I... I loved getting involved in the organizations my kids were part of. I felt I was more engaged with them and I, I could kind of share in the hobby with them. So I was 
tried to get involved. Never once did I sign up for the treasurer function, even though I'm an accountant. And when people would say, uh, the treasurer function's available, you're an accountant, it's an obvious fit, I'd say, not interested. You know, I, I, I want no part of being, like, I don't want to bring that into uh, what, I'm, what I'm pursuing as a hobby. I'm sharing an interest with my child. So that's an example where I, I shunned it, even though it obviously looked like a good fit. Yeah. And, and that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, that up because that really kind of circles back and stem from my very, my first question was that, um, you kind of may feel, uh, I just, I wanted your perspective on that kind of separating what you do at work and, and how, how heavily that kind of comes into your personal life and your personal hobbies. So it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. Finally, my big final question is, should you pick your hobby based on the cost of it? And I say this because you can have the hobby of accumulating like recreational boats or um, maybe, I, I don't know how expensive go-karting is, but maybe I know some people who kind of amateurly race go-karts. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Can you literally, can you limit your hobby based on the cost? Well, you should operate within your budget, right? You've only got so many dollars to allocate toward hobby. I, I think start small and grow it like never ever ever go into debt to pursue a hobby that, that is the worst advice because if it's a hobby there's there's no payback right it's but I, I would say start small start with what you have and where you are and go from there again if, if you're into photography start with your iphone and, and see where it goes and if you're willing to pursue that that you 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 if you become really passionate about it you will find a you'll make the dollars available to allocate to your hobby you'll you'll take them from some other aspect of your life that's not as important or as impassionate as your is your hobby you you'll you'll put the focus on that so it's it and you you might have to choose between hobbies right just say my mountain bike stopped working it's 13 years old. It could happen. Could happen tomorrow, right? It, it could just give it up, right? And it, it, the repairs are it actually my bike's so old they, they don't even make some parts for it anymore. I've tried to get some things fixed, and they say, "Oh, well, you have to replace a whole bunch of stuff because they don't make that anymore." And I, I just managed to work around it. But just say my mountain bike gave up, and my table saw stopped working, right? So I'd have to decide which one of these are my more passionate about. Right, you you sometimes you have to make financial choices in in your hobby, but work within your budget. Never go into debt. Pursue a hobby. I love that. So that does bring us to the end of today's show on hobbies. We started the episode by talking about hobby risk and what that looks like when we try to identify the challenges of the hobby and determine if we want to pursue those challenges. We talked about the three minimums of, of hobbies and, and what those should look like and, and how you can decide on hobbies based on getting those minimums. And we talked about hobby perspectives and things to consider when selecting a hobby. And finally, hobby considerations. So when we are looking at the more fine nuances of hobbies. All, everything we talked about will be in the show notes. You can refer to that after you're done listening to this episode. Thank you so much for being here with us for another month at episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast. We can't wait to have you back with us for a brand new episode. Until then, keep it simple.